Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Welcome back to another episode of the Five Heart Podcast. This is Haas Reuter. And joining me today, as Greg Mahachko is a little bit of incommunicado with some technical issues, but he's feeding us the questions, is a coordination zone volleyball guy, Ty Peter Onitz. You know, welcome, Ty. Thank you, Haas. How are we doing this evening, sir? Oh, pretty good. Just uh, taking a nice break from studying for finals with uh, talking to you and Greg and drinking some Coors Banquets, you know, the nectar of the gods. How about yourself? Really? You know what? I don't really. Are we going to start off with that? I'm having a great night. Um, got back from playing some volleyball. I uh, um, kind of still love doing that, but sitting here and kind of watching over my six day old son while my wife is finishing up a little bit of treadmill time and and uh, kind of living the dream while I'm actually drinking beer. I'm drinking uh, New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger IPA. So again, like I said, off uh, air that. Pretty bourgeois. Yeah, well, what can I say? And Greg says massive props on the uh, procreation. Ah, well, thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. All righty. So let's, uh, we're going to be talking some volleyball today. Nebraska's final four match against Penn State on Saturday, is it? it is, uh, it's Thursday. Thursday at 6 Thursday. o'clock. Oh, my gosh. I'm totally all over the place this week. Thursday at 6 o'clock. All right, so uh, we'll get some questions from Greg, and uh, we'll start, you know, breaking down the uh, Nebraska volleyball in the Final Four. Sounds like a plan to me, man. We got some dead air. That's not a good look, but hey. All right, right. uh, let's. All right, Ty, as the resident volleyball guy, talk a little bit about the rally over Kentucky last week. You know, Kentucky was my, – my opinion of Kentucky was that they were possibly the worst team in that um, region. Now, I, I darn near got proved wrong with that because they really, they really fought hard and played well. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you know, I, I didn't by any means expect a sweep over Kentucky because uh, we were in their gym. I mean, you know, anytime that you're in somebody else's house – you know, they're going to put up a heck of a fight, especially when, they're, when you know, the Final Four is on the line, a place where, you know, I don't know my Kentucky volleyball all that well, but it's, it's a place where I don't know if, I don't know if they've been to the Final Four, I don't know how long it's been, but, you know, when you've got that, that Final Four bit on the line and you're a conference champion, you, you know, at home you think you've really got something. So uh, Kentucky played great ball. Um, I just think, you know, Nebraska's played really, really great volleyball through the tournament, there have been a lot of, of girls on the team who have stepped up big in a way. Uh, Jazz Sweet, in particular, the freshman right side, is somebody who, uh, who comes to mind when I think of girls who who played much better so far through the postseason than they did during the season, I think. So it was a great match. Um, Nebraska, when you looked statistically, it was a really evenly matched uh, competition. Uh, they were They were right there in all, basically every statistical category from 
volleyball uh, or, you know, from attacking to blocking. And I think both teams had 12 blocks. The big difference was serving. The Huskers, the Huskers have had this, this, uh, High risk, high reward kind of serving mentality all year, which means they're gonna they're gonna drive, they're gonna try and serve for aces. They're not gonna serve just to get the ball and play. They're gonna serve for aces, and when you do that, um, you're you're liable to make errors as well. And so the Huskers have done that at points in the season, but this this match, they really played great ball. They had uh, great um, they they served quite a few aces uh, and kept the errors. I won't say to a minimum because they still had. I think it was seven errors, but right now I'm having computer problems. So I'm having a hard time pulling up uh, the stats, but uh, you know, they, they played great ball and, and it was, it was a really good weekend. It was good. You know, there were a lot of people who, who thought that uh, Kentucky being ranked above Nebraska was, I will say a travesty. And I, I, I do agree with that. I, I think Nebraska was the better team uh, far and away uh, better than Kentucky. You look at who they played and, and when the initial, when the initial top four, when the initial, you know, top four seeds came out a month before the tournament started, Nebraska was number two. And then without losing a match and with playing against very good competition, they suddenly dropped out, out of the top four and you had Kentucky in there inexplicably. So, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things that happens and uh, Nebraska kind of took care of it. They kind of went out there and said, Hey, we're, we're better. We're better than, than Kentucky is, and we deserve the Final Four. And, and I think they've absolutely played like they deserve the Final Four. So uh, with that in mind and moving on to the Final Four in Kansas City, how much of a home field advantage do you think, or home court advantage, are we going to get a seed down in uh, KC from Nebraska fans? You know, I, I think, you know, Nebraska fans travel really well. If you watched even the, the match in um, – in Lexington there, there were a ton of Husker fans there. Um, you know, I think, I think it absolutely will be, you'll see a Husker home court advantage. You will, you're going to see a ton of red down there. Um, you know, Penn state fans travel pretty well. Um, you know, as far as Florida or Stanford, I don't know really what we'll see. Uh, Stanford had some representation last year in, in Columbus for the final four, so they certainly do travel to a degree, but you know, Husker fans are so close. It's easy to get down to Kansas city. Uh, even with, you know, especially with a six o'clock match, it's easy to get down there, watch the match and then get back home, even though it'll be a little bit later. And so I think you will see a strong Husker contingent down there. I know a lot of people who are talking about going down to the match. So I think that that's going to help Nebraska a lot, but you've also got to keep in mind when we beat Penn state, not that long ago, it was in state college. So, mm-hmm. you know, this team, there's just something about Nebraska-Penn State. This probably, I won't say definitely because there's so many great rivalries in volleyball, but this is, this is maybe the best rivalry in college volleyball right now. Two elite-level teams, two teams who have won national championships recently. We um, <clears throat> expect to be competing for the national championship every year. They, they're, they're doing that again. They're playing... Um, you know, both teams are there and ready to go. So you're going to see that level of, you're going to see that kind of a, a competitive match, a big rivalry match. And, you know, from what I've heard, whether there's any truth or not, who the heck knows. Um, but from what I've heard, both uh, Coach Cook and, and uh, Russ Rose, who's the head coach of Penn State, aren't the best of friends. So 
I was going to ask you about that. If you knew anything yeah. where that stemmed from, actually. I, you know, I don't know from what that stems, uh, mostly because I've, I've never, I've, mostly because I haven't asked the right questions. I have not pursued the answer to that question. Uh, I don't know why it is that Rose and Cook have, uh, you know, kind of, it's kind of some animosity. But mm-hmm. they they don't get along well. I mean, there's 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 respect there. There absolutely is. There's no there's no uh, disrespect there. They just don't like one another, uh, from what I've heard, and I don't know why. Sometimes you just don't like someone, you know. <laughs> a lot of truth to that. But uh, a couple things here before we you know get into a little bit more talk about uh, Nebraska's match with Penn State is talking about Husker fans and our willingness to travel anywhere. Um, remind me of the Roger Craig quote from a few years back where he talked about if the Nebraska, you know, football, volleyball, or any sport played a game on Mars, Husker fans would find a way to get there. And yes, we would. Uh, I, re- I remember reading that quote and just thinking, yeah, that's uh, among the truer things I've read in life. Yes, it is. Um you know, when you see that everywhere, I remember, you know, because I'm originally from just outside of, uh, of Boulder, Colorado, and I would go uh, when I could to the Nebraska-Colorado matches there. And, and I know when I went, and this was in about 07 or 08, with a, the match set the record for attendance at Coors Event Center for a volleyball match. And you know there was not much blo- uh, silver and gold in those stands. So, uh, you know... <laughs> kind of that's how Nebraska volleyball does their thing. You know, it's how Nebraska fans do their thing. You know, Craig's absolutely right. Uh, Husker fans will travel wherever they need to. Unfortunately, that includes Iowa city too. It does. It includes Iowa city. It includes wherever they need to go. Um, talk a little bit about kind of the, uh, I hate using the term old school. Sorry, Greg, because (laughs) they, if it's effective, it's effective, no matter where it's, you know, what era it's from. Right. But, you know, kind of the old school style of play from Nebraska and kind of the balance that they've displayed a little bit, even without having, you know, a height advantage. Yeah, there have been, there've been a couple of interesting things about Husker volleyball this year. Um, one of the things that you've seen with this team is they've gone back to a lot more six position players, especially from their outside hitters. Uh, it's something that you have seen somewhat go away in college volleyball of late because, uh, the, you know, you have, I believe in the NCAA, it's, it's 12 substitutions. Uh, it might be 18. I can't remember. They change these rules with some frequency in volleyball and keeping track of, you know, the international FIVB is the sanctioning body. Um, and they've got one set of rules and most, most of those rules are followed at all levels of volleyball, but there's slight tweaks to them. So, uh, you know, I think you have 12 subs in collegiate volleyball and NCAA volleyball. And so, you know, you can use those subs to put in a better defensive player in the back row. Well, with Caleb Anworth, you know, being, uh, you know, a big time defensive player and a big time defensive, you know, want and, and seeing the international level, international level, you don't get nearly the subs that you get uh, at the NCAA level. And so those players expect to be all around players. That's why you see Kelsey Ryan. Robinson play uh, six positions. Why you see Jordan Larson play six positions at uh, the international level. So, you know, that's one thing that you've certainly seen a lot of there, but they're very dynamic. I mean, anytime 
one player struggles, it seems like there's two other players that are ready to step up and fill that void and to fill that gap and to take over for that player. Uh, we've seen it with, um, we've seen it with, with, uh, you know, like if, if one of the outside hitters struggles, then the middles suddenly are, are coming alive and, and playing great defense and, you know, doing all of the things that they need to do. Uh, if you have, you know, if one of the middles isn't connecting, then, then, you know, the outsides are ready to step up. You know, there's all kinds of different, there's all kinds of different things that the team is really doing. There, there's, even though there's not great depth as far as number of girls on the roster, it's not a terribly deep team. The girls that step up and step in do a great job. You know, I think that the phrase next man up is such a trite terminology, especially those of us who watch football and, you know, especially professional football, you know, the coach are always talking about next man up. These girls really kind of live that and they know, you know, that, that with each other, for each other, that you've seen them have the hashtag for this season. It's kind of been their motto this season. And Coach Cook on senior night got a little emotional talking about the girls. And he said, you know, before the season started, the girls kind of put together a skit at the preseason meal or whatever. And uh, that was the, that was the, uh, motto that they came up with for this season and it's how they've played they've talked a lot in um the press conferences about yeah we if i have a, a tough day i know somebody else has my back and i think that's been such a big part of what has made this team so great this year that culture that's in play yeah the self-sustaining culture from cook being here for this long yeah well you know there, there's an aspect of that but he's talked a few times about you know the fact that this team is is different than other teams that he's coached in a lot of ways. The chemistry of this team is, is almost off the charts. Charts, excuse me. Um, you know, you look at you. You don't have you know, like we kind of talked about. You don't have a ton of height with this team. You know, you look at like Wisconsin, who's got a six foot eight middle blocker, and she played well against us when we lost at Wisconsin. But when we beat them here in in Lincoln. She was almost a non-factor. So, you know, these girls are smart. They're dynamic. They can switch up the the, the attacks that they use. Uh, our defense has been very good this year. Uh, blocking has been touch and go, but it's been very good now this last three weeks to a month. And so, you know, you talk about a team coming together at the right time, and, and that's, the, that's mm-hmm. the thing that chemistry can do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of volleyball recruiting, um, you know, there's a, a – Nebraska has a commit named uh, Kennedy Orr. Is this a name that you're familiar with uh, since she committed as a freshman back in September? And is it rare for underclassmen to get offers like that? <laughs> um, it is a name that I'm familiar with, you know, and there are other states, other places where you can play varsity volleyball from, you know, varsity sports in general from the time that you're in seventh grade. In fact, I think there are places where you can even do it as a fifth grader. Uh, you know, but she is a name that I'm familiar with. Uh, you know, the Rolfson twins both both committed as eighth graders, so we do see we do occasionally see kids that get recruited at that age. You know, is it ideal? I don't know. You know, I don't. I, I work. I coach high school volleyball. I work with with 14 year old girls. I don't. I don't know that that what their level is, you know, there's a lot that can change between the time that you're 14 and you're 18, good and bad. So, mm. you know, I mean, I, I think good. If she ends up being a stud, I think it's awesome. I'm glad, you know, she's has nearly the impact that the Rolfson twins had for the team. I think it's fantastic. 
Um, but yeah, she's absolutely a name that I'm familiar with. She's she's one that is is highly touted, and and I won't say that it's a huge get at this point, but I think it will be a huge get for Nebraska ultimately. Do you think that uh, offering that early sets a bad precedent in college volleyball or college sports in general? I think the precedent has already been set, um, mm-hmm. and like I said, I I don't know. You know, I don't. What you would hate to see is to have a girl like that who's, you know, I mean, she's got her college, she's, she's got her offer now. She knows she's going to play volleyball in Nebraska. You would hate to see somebody burn out even temporarily on, on that sport because, well, now that I'm playing volleyball, you know, I don't have to play basketball seriously or I'm not going to run track anymore. And you would hate to see her burn out on volleyball because she's doing, you know, high school season and she's doing, you know, the elite team. So club season lasts a long time. Um, that is that is the only thing that really scares me about kids getting recruited this young. Um, you know, you hope that a kid who, you hope that a kid who, who commits is not going to be that kid who's going to, to burn out. But again, I remember myself at 14 vaguely. It was a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we all have that idea in our, you know, we all kind of remember what we were like at 14 and it's not, you know, we've all changed a lot. So, Will it be fine? Yeah, it's worked out for a lot of other volleyball teams so far. Uh, and, you know, again, kind of you think back to what we talked about with the Husker serving, high risk, high reward. We're willing to risk those those kinds of we're, – we're willing to risk those kinds of things because if it pays off, it pays off big. All right. Um, back in terms of the Nebraska-Penn State matchup, uh, what do you think about Penn State, how they're going to come into the game from an emotional standpoint? With re- Are they going to have revenge on their minds, you know, after having been swept the first time at home for the first time in over a decade by Nebraska? Um, you know, they're, they're not – you know, you kind of follow, you, you take on the, the mentality of your leader. Rose is not mm-hmm. a, a peaks and valleys kind of leader. He's not going to get real emotional. And then, um, you know, so I, I don't, I just don't see those, that kind of a mentality from that team. It's, I, but, and I also don't think it will be like, you know, Texas last year in the final four, who Nebraska swept in the national championship the year prior and then had beaten pretty soundly in um in the vert challenge that spring or that spring the the first part of the season so so i i just don't see penn state as that emotional kind of program that's not the way that they've ever operated now all of that being said it's absolutely possible that they will be thinking that and that's a dangerous thing it's the dangerous thing you know anytime in sports to let those kinds of secondary, it's the only way that I can put it, emotions try and guide what you do. You know, Penn State's a very good team. Uh, Simone Lee is, should probably be the national player of the year. Um, Haley Washington has been a huge part of their, their team for four years now. I mean, since her freshman year, and they won the national championship in 2014. So um, <clears throat> they've got a lot of good things going for them. If they start thinking too much about revenge, about that sweep and rec hall, uh, you know, for the first time in 13 or 14 years, uh, they started thinking about all of those things. It's not going to be good for them. So that team is built to play great volleyball. If they start working too hard and thinking too hard about it, that's where our hitters, our defense, 
our offense, um, you know, those things that we do well, that's where we're going to take advantage. You know, you've got a girl who is, who's got revenge on her mind and she misses an attack, right? So then we get back there to serve and we serve at her and she shanks the pass. Well, now you've, you've taken her out of it entirely. So I, mm-hmm. you're, I think they do have to take emotion out of it. I think you're right to, to say that. Um, and I think that they will play. They're just going to play good volleyball is what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, you know, just kind of from a sports standpoint in general, you know, with the stakes being that high of a final four, I'm in complete agreement that you got to keep, you got to be the type that keeps your emotions in check, you know, and to avoid, you know, forcing things, pressing, making errors like a quarterback, you know, who's trying to yeah. get get back, you know, from a big deficit all in one play. It doesn't happen. You just got to take it one play right. at a time. Well, um, for the like record, I said, you don't get to level Penn State has been as long as they have been without being able to just play. I won't say emotionless, but you know what emotions you need to be successful. Exactly. You know, focused, you know, that laser focus, yep. uh, you know, the unity of a common purpose, you know, without being emotionally reckless. They know uh, the job. For the record, what's your prediction on the final four? <sighs> You know, I've I've gone around, I've gone back and forth, I've gone. If you'd have asked me this two weeks ago, it would have been a very different prediction. I, I think Nebraska knows how to beat this Penn State team, and this team is playing at a level we haven't seen them play at this year. Now, so is Penn State. That's what happened to this point in the situation in the season. Um, <clears throat> I I think Nebraska is going to beat Penn State in five. I do, um, and I hope desperately that they do because if that happens, then I'm going to go down to Kansas City on Saturday to cover uh, the match. I, I won't be down there Thursday night, uh, you know, because my son will be a whopping eight days old. Uh, but I will go down there on Saturday uh, in the afternoon and go down and cover the match, and then come back up Sunday morning. But I think Nebraska beats Penn State in five. I think Stanford will sweep Florida. And when it comes to Stanford, Nebraska, I think Nebraska can beat Stanford. Uh, Stanford's got some great players. I mean, there are some phenomenal volleyball players on Stanford. They won last year's national championship, and they really only lost one of the big contributors from that team, where she was everything. Um, it was, and so I still think Nebraska, my prediction is Nebraska national champion, five sets against Penn State, four sets against uh, Stanford. There you have it, folks. Uh, Ty Peter Onitz is uh, decla- issuing his decree for a Nebraska national championship. I, I think we can do it this year. And, and, and like I said, it would have been a very different prediction a couple of weeks ago. But I do think that they can do it. Um, lost my train of thought. I thought I had a That's really well well-constructed question for you. Um, right. should we transition to some football talk? And, uh, if it comes back to me, I'll still, uh, pose the question to you on volleyball as well. That's fine. Why don't I, uh, I'll ask you questions now. Um, all right. That way, uh, that, that, that way uh, I can look like this, the smart inquisitor and, and we can show your depth of knowledge. Um, all right. talk, talk a little bit. And, and if I have thoughts here, I'll throw them in as well, but talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what you've seen in the coaching transition now. Uh, let's just start with with uh, Scott Frost. You know, coming back, coming back home, as it were. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of the guys that he's brought in and, and if that transitions into talking about recruiting, that'll be great too. Uh, yeah, you know, I can't believe it's almost been two weeks already. Time's just <laughs> flown by since that happened, you know, or actually just a little over a week. I'm a few days in the future already. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it was a hire that was imminent, of course, but nonetheless, you know, sitting there watching that UCF Memphis game on conference championship Saturday, you know, seeing the announcement and the subsequent introduction the next day at the press conference, um, it's just what Nebraska needed. I think that in order to, you know, rebuild Nebraska into a, you know, what it can be again and what it used to be in a sense, not saying that we're going to go 60 and three over a four year stretch again. Um, I think you have to be a dynamic offensive team. That's hard to prepare for like kind of like Frost's offense at UCF that throws so much at a defense in terms of tempo, um, just right. athleticism and speed, quarterback run game. And so I think that that's what Nebraska needed. And I think it helps to have a coach who's young and energetic, especially for the task at hand in rebuilding this place. And then once, you know, once that rebuild starts to become self-sustaining and we start getting to the point to where we want to be again, you also have a coach who's young enough that he can put in a solid 25 to 30 years coaching here and, you know, pour the solid foundation in terms of culture uh, that this program desperately needs and really has needed since Black Friday and Boulder in 2001. Yeah. Um, Do you, I mean, talk about, do you think, that Nebraska fans are going to give more patience to Frost than we've given to recent coaching staffs uh, because he's from home? Or what role do you think that will have in his tenure here, his immediate, let's say, the next three to four years? I think that, by and large, I think Nebraska fans are more than willing to give him a little bit longer of a leash than they would to a quote-unquote outsider. And I just think that's kind of human nature in a sense. Uh, right. From a talent standpoint, I think it's really fair to uh, give him five years before reevaluating where we're at talent-wise, and if that's, you know, in relation to the product we're putting on the field. What do you think? Uh, I mean, looking at kind of they've obviously hit the recruiting trail, running in a dead sprint. Uh, are you seeing? I guess it's as simple as are you liking what you're seeing or what you're seeing or more than that? What is it that this, this staff is doing that you really gives you great optimism about the direction that Frost is going to take the program? Well, I think the biggest thing is that they're immediately right after the announcement on that Saturday night was you saw on Twitter, they were addressing areas of need in the offers that they were sending out. Uh, they sent out an offer to, the quarterback, you know, Adrian Martinez from Fresno, California, who they really wanted at UCF, who was a little bit of a, uh, a reach for them to get because of his status as a very high caliber, you know, athlete. And right. now they've you know, taken the Nebraska job. They're going, you know, either operating under full sale to try to sign him here. And they've also addressed areas of need, you know, in the secondary um, at the receiver position, tight end position with the commitment of Justin McGriff 
And then also at the offensive tackle position with uh, Iowa, offering Iowa Western's Noah Banks, who's uh, committed to Arkansas right now, but he's taking an official visit this week to Lincoln. So can we call him McGriff the crime dog? I know it's off by just a little bit, but can we call him that? Absolutely. I tweeted okay. that last night as a commitment, and Greg was uh, mean enough to uh, just kind of just a curmudgeon. That's the best way to put it, to say it was <laughs> – McGruff, and it's like, no, it's don't ruin this for me, Greg. We we get that it was McGruff, but I mean, come on, McGriff the crime dog. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I, how if he ends up being a really, really good tight end, H back type player, if he has the nickname of Crime Dog, how sweet is that gonna be? <laughs> I really, I mean, I think. I think you will be lifted onto the shoulders of Nebraska fans, just just for yeah, starters. Absolutely. There. I mean, that's a t-shirt <laughs> waiting to happen. It really is. We'll put your face on the back, just below the collar, <laughs> so people know. And a Coors banquet. Yeah, um, holding one up. What? And I know that this is kind of looking into your crystal ball, as it were. But with the the the, the men that are in place there right now, the players that we have now. What do you see for the 2018 Nebraska team? I don't, I don't care about record right now. I don't care about predictions because obviously things could change. New freshmen could come in. But who are some guys on the roster now that you see really contributing and, and working well in Frost's offense or, or Frost's uh, kind of program in general? I don't mean offense necessarily, but program in general. Well, I'll start from uh, the position group that's been the topic of this podcast many times, the offensive line, uh, Bo Wilson. I think fits in very well in the Scott Frost offense with how much he likes to pull linemen, especially guards out to the perimeter and on some trap plays, you know, back inside to a defensive tackle. So that kind of movement that Wilson showed like at the end of the year in those short yardage goal line packages that he came in as an H back really lend itself, really lends itself well to this offense. Um, and guys like Matt Farniak, as he develops, uh-huh. um, he showed a lot of proficiency as a redshirt freshman. Uh, another guard who didn't see the field much this year, I think he only saw a few snaps against Oregon when Gerald Foster had some equipment issues, is John Raritan. He's a little bit on the lighter side, but again, he's kind of in the mold of Bo Wilson. He can get out and move. He has good functional movement. Um, with him being only about 275, it's probably going to be a case of putting on a little bit of weight and continuing to develop some functional strength. Um, and then Michael Decker at center, I think is a really good fit in this offense. Cause he's also an athletic guy who can pull a little bit on out onto the perimeter on some pin and pull sweeps. Um, quarterback wise on one hand with Lee's experience that he has, and you know, at Tulane now here at Nebraska with the year under his belt, you would think that Frost could tailor that offense to him with throwing some more RPOs instead of running zone read and other option plays. But okay. should Lee, you know, either go pro or declare a graduate transfer, I think that a guy like Tristan Gebbia really uh, fits the offense well. Not, I mean, he's not, he's athletic enough to run option with, but what really, in my opinion, sets him apart of being a good, you know trigger man for this offense is the fact that he has quick decision making and uh, there's okay. some coaching clinic materials out there about the Chip Kelly offense that he presented about 
back in around 2009-2010 where um, Chip Kelly talked about how they place in that offense, they place a higher emphasis on decision-making from the quarterback than they do actual athletic ability. Okay. That, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, I know that Tanner Lee was uh, highly touted when he came here. So I, and I know this is a huge, huge change in the offense and, and in the schemes and stuff that, that Frost runs versus what Riley ran. Um, how good is J.D. Spielman, by the way? Baller. Kind of a left turn, but... <laughs> baller I mean I, I might just start singing Lil Troy's want to be a baller every time he makes a catch that's how good he is at least at least it's Lil Troy's version of it um, exactly. wait a minute there's another version of it well anyway um, <laughs> you know there's too many good hip hop songs from the, the 90s that have been remade and people just don't understand how good they are you know, I heard uh, anyway. a country bluegrass cover of Nate Dogg's Regulate the other day. Oh, yeah. No, that, that's hot. I and I absolutely love, cover of love country Dogg's, music. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I've actually heard a uh, country bluegrass type cover of Snoop Dogg's uh, Gin and Juice. Oh, by the Gourds. I love that song. Yup. That one, that one is great. I, uh, I mean, I agree. Uh, the bluegrass cover of Regulate, though. Love country music. Love the song Regulate. Wanted to like the country bluegrass cover of it. Just couldn't do it. Just That's fair. didn't hit home. That's fair. I, uh, I, don't, I haven't heard that one, but I absolutely... Um, uh, I absolutely will try and find that. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can see if I can find it. If it's still on my phone, I had a friend text it to me a while back. Nice. Uh, probably, everyone's probably getting sick and tired of our off-topic discussion here as we're awaiting more questions. Well, no, there's that, and there's the fact that uh, there's that the, you and I just got off-topic, which is what happens. Um, you know, we talked when we started the conversation. I, I, I think I kind of briefly asked you about Frost's staff. Uh, but tell me, kind of, give me your thoughts on on the guys that he's bringing in uh, to to coach and and the ones that'll be here. You know, kind of taking the reins in Nebraska, as it were. Well, I'll start off with the uh, member of Frost staff who everyone has the most reservations about: the defensive coordinator Eric Shenander. And uh, right. well, I haven't, you know, really gone and looked, you know, in depth at his scheme from the games that I've DVR'd of. UCF, um, he's pretty highly thought of in football, and so I'm willing to get. And especially when you consider Memphis was the number one scoring offense or number two scoring offense behind UCF at number one in the country this year. First game out, UCF held them 13 points. Second game in the conference championship game, Memphis rings up 55. Pretty tough to. You know, defend a team twice in the same season after you beat them, you know, that badly to begin with, without that team putting in some new wrinkles to take advantage of what, you know, how you stop them to begin with. And then USF and, you know, on Black Friday, Quentin Flowers put up almost 600 yards total offense. 
you see USF also had, you know, I, I believe a top 15 scoring offense in the country. So I think to evaluate Shenander based solely off of those two games is a bit unfair uh, okay. just because of the types of athletes and the types of schemes that they were going up against in those games. Um, secondly, aside from USF and Memphis, the other game that they gave up, you know, the most points that they gave up otherwise was 24 points to SMU, and seven of those 24 were on a pick six, so it was more like 17. And then that was to F- FBS opponents. They played FCS Austin P. They put up 33, but trying to stick within, you know, the FBS construct here. Right. Um, in terms of hires that I'm very excited about, uh, Greg Austin's one of the better young offensive line coaches in the country in terms of the way he approaches uh, coaching their inside zone scheme in practice against variety of different fronts and teaching different technique. Um, he was on Chip Kelly's staff at Philadelphia for a couple of years as the assistant O-line coach, and he was GA at Oregon when Kelly and Frost were there. Uh, very energetic, very good recruiter. And then Mar- Mario Verdusco, the quarterback's coach. I mean, how often do you see a quarterback's coach with a degree in biomechanics? I mean, the man's made a career out of the science of quarterback play, the biomechanics of it. And uh, Troy Walters, you know, I know everyone, myself included, were big fans of Keith Williams, but Troy Walters uh, has proven himself very well as Frost's quote-unquote OC. Frost calls his own plays. And as a receiver's coach, and he's a Bolitnikoff winner at Stanford in 99. So I, I like the staff um, as an offensive line guy. Of course, I'm really excited about, you know, having a really good offensive line coach finally, or maybe finally get some fresh eyes, you know, on the position group for development instead of some of the biases that may have taken place, but, you know, from the previous two offensive line coaches. But right. at the end of the day, it's going to come down to continuing to recruit and uh, recruiting development and, uh, strength and conditioning, that's another one. Um, Zach Duvall, Frost strength and conditioning coach who he's bringing up here. Um, I think he, that's a very uh, big hire. And now that some of the uh, administrative apparatus that was in place is gone, I think that the uh, I think that strength and conditioning can really hit its full stride. Good, well, which would be nice because I feel like that's been something you know, for me, who <clears throat> I love football, I've been watching football a long time, but I've, I've felt like that was someplace where we've been getting kind of smoked for a while. I don't even think it's necessarily just Riley's staff, but even under Polini, I felt like that was something that could have been done better. Absolutely. And it's one of those things, there's not a whole lot that you can control in football or just sports in general, but your own preparation in the weight room is one of them. And I, too often you saw just such a physical discrepancy between how the opponents looked, let alone played, and versus how we looked and played. And uh, it's really evident against you know Wisconsin, and that's probably more the corollary to draw you know similar you know peer program you know even though they're above us in terms of the past five years. And um, Ohio State's just in a whole other stratosphere of talent, so I'm not going to go with that one as a com- point of comparison. Which, uh, yeah, like you said, you know, when you talk about 
the recruiting and the level that they have there at Ohio State, that's absolutely a different animal from where we've been for, let's just say, a decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, I'm going to kind of go back to recruiting and commitment, something that we talked about a little bit with volleyball, but kind of on the football front, you know, I've seen, and I can't say I've seen it a lot, but I've seen a couple people on Twitter kind of griping about players who have decommitted from Nebraska now that we've got a new staff. But I feel like, A, I don't feel like it's been a rush. I feel like it's been a couple who are reopening their recruitment. Uh, you know, my, and my thought on that is this is a thing that happens when you have a new staff. You know, the old coaches come and go. If you're not committed yet, I don't blame you for kind of looking at other options to see if that you're going to have a fit someplace else. Am I, am I on base? Am I off base? Am I being too, I mean, I'm, I'm a hopeless optimist and idealist. So, you know, I'm looking at it as, Hey, these guys don't want to be here. That's fine. Frost is bringing in good guys too. Uh, but this is the thing that happens, right? Or am I off base on that? Uh, you're not off base at all in my okay. opinion, because so much recruiting now is more about kids developing relationships with the coaches, you know, coaches, they, their position coaches, coaches, they really want to play for it's not so much about the school anymore. So a okay. guy like Joshua Moore really likes, you know, Keith Williams, wants to play for Keith Williams. Well, Keith Williams isn't, you know, at Nebraska anymore. And it was never really the school to, you know, begin with that. Right. He really wants to, you know, go to Nebraska to play and, you know, get a college education. So I don't think you're off base at all with um, just really, you know, Realizing that's collateral damage of a coaching change. Can we just go ahead and say right now, don't tweet recruits? We just need to throw that out there. Yeah, I don't cuss hardly ever on this podcast. Just don't fucking do it, people. <laughs> Please don't. Whether you're going to tweet them praise or whether you're going to get mad at them because they released a top seven or they, you know, had a three paragraph wall of text that they, you know, screenshot and tweeted to their Twitter account about how hard their decommitment was. Just don't do it. Let them have their moment, whether it's good for Nebraska or bad for Nebraska. Yeah. And that's, you know, how I've, I feel about that. You know, and I think the thing that people lose sight of is, um, you know, the idea that these are 18 17, 18 year old kids who are trying to make a decision that's going to affect, you know, not just the next four years, but possibly the rest of their lives. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I certainly remember how that decision went down for me when I chose a college. And if Twitter had been around and I announced the pick that I made, you know, University of Colorado at Colorado Springs was not a thing for all intents and purposes when I decided to go there. And if I'd have said I'm taking my talents to Colorado Springs, that would have been weird because I had no talents to speak of. But, um, you know, going on, it, it, that decision's a tough decision. You know that you you picked a college. It's a tough decision mm-hmm. to have to make. And you know why were why there are grown ass men who are think it's acceptable to, like you said, cuss and discuss and and otherwise degrade these young men who are choosing. You know, and even the guys who are out there playing who are putting their asses on the line every day for this this team, and they're doing the, the what they think is the best that. That, that they're supposed to do for their coaches. You know, it's like, just let them go, guys. Let them go. Exactly. Uh, I couldn't imagine trying to go through life um, with people constantly scrutin- scrutinizing my every move. 
it would just right. I mean I can't even really grasp you know the how difficult that would be and how much I just want to blow up at people and like you were saying about picking a college you know I'm in the middle of you know contemplating a change of major and the entire time as I'm looking over it you know different fields and you know even though I, it's something I really want to do you know that change of major in the back of my mind I'm always thinking you know this move you know potentially mortgages my future you know down a certain right. path you know um that's yep. something you know even at 18 years old it shouldn't be lost on anyone you know for making that decision that's a big decision and yeah i'd like to see some of the players that we've missed out on be at nebraska because i want damn it i want to win but right. at the end of the day they got to do what's right for them yep absolutely i think you're absolutely right about that um well, you know, and, and this is kind of taking a, a turn in the conversation, but I wanted to speak about something that's going back to volleyball a little bit. You know, Olivia Boonder, who is, uh, you know, a Nebraska, was a Waverly product and, and, you know, earlier in the season this year left the team for medical reasons, really, I thought was did something really brave this week. I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter at all, um, but she kind of talked about why she left. She was having some serious, uh, dealing with some anxiety and depression and wanted to get treated for it. And, um you know, it's, it's not same, same, but it is same, same. I, you know, I admire those young women and young men who are, who are, who, 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 you know, recognize that there's something that they need to get taken care of and, and recognize that they're more important than this team, than this, you know, their, their health and their, their well-being and their long-term mental stability is more important than making sure that the, the 90,000 fans approve of every single move that they make on the football field. And, and, you know, like I, you know, I do want to bring, bring up what, what Olivia did this week, uh, because that was a really, really brave thing that she did. And, uh, you know, I like seeing these young men and women, uh, be those kinds of role models. Cause there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of young women in the state who look up to Olivia. And I think just that move on her part is going to be really powerful to, not just a lot of young women who are dealing with those kinds of things, but also young men who are dealing with anxiety and depression and other, you know, kinds of, uh, I hate to say mental issues. I don't know what word to use, but who have, have those mental health kind of things that they need to be taken care of. I think it's really, I think what she did and, and being open about it was really powerful. Absolutely. And uh, it's just kind of the principle of, of a visible, a visible figure publicly, you know, yeah. having the, having the courage to admit these things, uh, yeah. people see that, you know, especially kids, you know, teenagers, you know, young men, young women see that. And it kind of uh, just kind of sets a precedent for them to realize, hey, you know, it's, it's okay to talk about those things. Yeah, absolutely. So, Haas, I want to take a little bit of a turn in the conversation again. Uh, you know, fr- Friday is a very important day. Uh, in the world as a whole, uh, December 15th, the release of Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Uh, I don't know how much you like Star Wars. Uh, I hope it's enough, because we're going to talk about it now. Well, let me put it this I, way. Lando Calrissian's a personal hero of mine. Land, Lando Calrissian's a personal hero. I actually have to make sure yeah. I can see my wife a little bit while we have this conversation, because what I'd like to do uh, is talk about assigning... Um, Star Wars characters to the the football teams in the Big Ten. Um, All right. 
Now, I think I think there are a lot of people. Let's start off with Jar Jar Binks. I want to go ahead and assign Jar Jar Binks to a team right now. Um, I think a lot of people, just based on how well liked Jar Jar Binks is, uh, would like to assign him to Iowa. Um, dilly dilly. Dilly dilly, dilly dilly. So uh, we're we're gonna go ahead and get that get that knocked out then. So Jar Jar Banks is clearly Iowa, um, but I, you know, uh, let's let's go ahead and have a conversation about this. Uh, let's talk about right. let's talk about Star Wars characters and Big Ten football teams. Uh, yes, Maryland and Rutgers will even count you guys. Um, I think Maryland and Rutgers are the ETs in uh, the prequels. They're the ETs that just show up in the Senate meeting. They're there. Nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah, because they're Rutgers. Because they're I Rutgers wish, in Maryland. Of course you forgot about that. Exactly. I wish Mark Mangino coached in the Big Tanks. He would totally be Jabba the Hutt. Yes, he would. Mark Mangino as Jabba the Hutt would be – that would be on point. Um like, I mean, we could assign Jabba the Hutt to uh, to Ohio State. He just kind of runs things. Nobody really yeah. likes them, but they always expect him to come out on top. I mean, yeah, kind of mob but, boss mentality, right? But then somehow gets outsmarted by a character that you wouldn't expect. Uh, you know, like the Iowa loss this year. I'm not going to say that Jar Jar Banks would have outsmarted Jabba the Hutt, but you you know, you get the idea. Oh, <laughs> just the. The mental picture of that made me just crack up. <laughs> and vomit a little bit in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, let, let's say Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State. We're probably going to have to equate this to coaches a little bit, too, to kind of draw That's the fair. corollary to Star Wars characters. I would probably Boba Fett. Boba Fett? Just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Zero fucks given. I like it. Um, I can get on board with that. I, you know, oh, let's see here. I'm trying to think, you know, it, it, Michigan's one of those schools too, because were it not for Jim Harbaugh, I might think differently about Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. But with Jim Harbaugh, see, and like you said, Lando Calrissian's kind of a personal hero of yours. But he also was kind of a traitor. He did give Han up. He, he's pretty polarizing. I agree. So he's, he's you know, he's both. I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about Michigan. There's sometimes I'm a Michigan fan, but, but being that they're, now that they're Jim Harbaugh-led, I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Maybe we'll have to come back to that one. We might have to. And, of course, we really haven't. And pulled like a Ray or a Kylo Ren. We haven't talked about the, the characters from, from the most recent movies. Um, well, let, let's just get a... Should we get Nebraska's out of the way? We're Obi-Wan Kenobi, the old Obi-Wan Kenobi and A New Hope. Oh, yeah. No, abs- we're absolutely... Yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi in... And I, I suppose that we could say throughout the, um, throughout the original trilogy, but I absolutely think that Nebraska is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, steady, you know... The, really, the the best is is all you can say about that. I think uh, Minnesota PJ Black Minnesota would be a Luke Skywalker, just fresh on the block and you know full of piss and vinegar. I like that. I like that, and I actually kind of you know I've been trying to figure out who to assign for Han Solo. 
I kind of like Northwestern for Han Solo. Now hear me out. Um, okay. You know, not the most dependable character, but seems to come through at really important times. Um, you know, there's a lot of times when you certainly think you're going to be let down by Han Solo or Northwestern, but they seem to come through clutch. I like that. They're sneaky, you know. Yeah, a little Kinda sneaky, little that, uh, handed. You know, they smuggle some wins out when they shouldn't. Yep. Yep. Um, we are doing this way too well. Um, well, of course, we can't talk about Han without Han shot first. So, um, Greedo. Do, do we have a Greedo? All right. Ooh. Penn State? I'm good. I'm good with that. I'm comfortable. I am too, because I'm not the biggest fan of James Franklin. You know, I'm just not a big fan of Penn State in general. That's fair. I'm, I, you know, there's just there's just a bad taste in your mouth with with Penn State. So mm-hmm. no, I'm good with Penn State as as Greedo. Um, Greg Greg would like us to say that uh, Michigan is Kylo Ren because he turned to the dark side and killed his father. Jim Harbaugh uh, did that. Is this like the Craig James and the Five Dead Hookers? <laughs> he's getting he's getting very dark. He's he's probably just frustrated that we're making the good jokes and he has to do his very best. Yeah, he's he's the uh, support support staff at this point. He is. He's he's the guy behind the glass just pointing at us. Have we left? I, I'm sure that's a dumb question. Illinois. We need to talk about Illinois. Ooh. Okay. I don't have one for Illinois, but I just got one for Purdue. Ooh, okay. They're the Ewoks. Okay. Purdue is the Ewoks. <laughs> no one even knows about them until it's too late. Uh, like we, us in 2015. That's fair. I like that. Uh, I... <laughs> Greg just, Greg just uh, texted and he said, Illinois is a Sarlacc pit. It just sucks. I really, I really want to make Finn something. Like I want Finn because I, I, I think he's great. Um, I, I want to make Finn somebody, but I can't. I don't have a good fit for him. Um, we haven't said Wisconsin. It's true. We haven't talked about Wisconsin yet. But if we make Wisconsin Finn, that makes him sound like a good thing. Yeah, I lost not, side of my wife. I'm talking about Star Wars characters. We <laughs> yeah, we have a Boba Fett. Uh, no, Maryland. No, Maryland is still the ETs in the prequel trilogy because you forget that they're there. But oh yeah, that's right. They show up every once in a while. That's who Maryland is. Maryland and Rutgers both are the ETs in the original trilogy. Um, God, Purdue is here. Wisconsin, 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 Wisconsin. See, but that's the thing. To me, even though the Big Ten, I feel like desperately wants. Nebraska Iowa to be the rivalry game. I feel like Wisconsin's become a more natural rival of ours. So yep. as much uh, as much as I'm having to be around Iowa fans, right. Wisconsin's much bigger stakes. So if we're Obi Wan, then Wisconsin is Anakin Darth Vader, right? I mean, doesn't that just make Ooh. sense? Ooh, that that is a damn good one. I mean. You know, it starts off kind of friendly. You know, they they're, they're teammates, but now Before it's red. Right. 
I mean, I just, yeah, it I just think, makes, yeah. it makes the most sense to me. I think that would definitely be, uh, I think it would be them. Or I think, wow, I just totally flubbed that up. I think Darth Vader would be Wisconsin. Wisconsin would be Darth Vader, who I meant to say. I, I just, I, I think it makes the most sense. And, and incidentally, now I want to make a cosplay for the next Wisconsin game and go to the game in a red and white Wisconsin Darth Vader costume. Um, well, now we're gonna have to, now we're gonna have to talk to old John Boy, you know, over at Coronation, have him, you know, write something about Star Wars characters. We will. Well, actually, I think we just leave that with Greg. Yeah, that too. Greg's got the nerd. I mean, he really has the nerd resume. You know, he's absolutely the one that that could be having this. He he, he should be having this conversation with us. I'll see what you got. Yeah, I always have to tell people, as someone who you know is a self-avowed football guy, lifts weights, chews tobacco, drinks beer. I was I was a nerd growing up before I got into football. Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Lord of the Rings. I love that stuff, you know. So. There's a part of me, although my life is mainly dominated by football, that I love talking about this stuff still. I'm I'm a nerd, but about unrelated. Like I'm not. There there are some things. I'm a nerd about weather. I love knowing about weather and how weather works and all of those kinds of things. I'm a nerd about airplanes. My wife will tell you, taking me to the airport is like taking a small child to the airport. I'm like, ooh, airplanes, ooh. <laughs> um, but then like I. <laughs> And I will, if I, if I don't have grading to do, if I'm on a plan period at work and I don't have something to do, I will like Google something. And if it starts to me down an airplane rabbit hole, suddenly I've lost my entire plan period. And I've learned what the Gimli glider is. And that was a Boeing 767 that ran out of fuel at cruising altitude because they had, Canada had switched from, from metric or from the English system to the metric system and they measured the fuel wrong. So it ran out of gas. And because of that, it had to land with no power. And it did land with no power successfully, but the front wheel didn't come down. And it landed at an airport called Gimli, which was an old Royal Air Force, Royal Canadian Air Force base, where they were having drag races at the time. So it's one of the coolest pictures you will ever see is this Boeing 767 on its nose um, with, uh, with a bunch of the cars that were drag racing sitting. It looks like literally four feet in front of it. Uh, but the, I know about that because I started reading about Boeing 767s one day on Wikipedia. I'm going to Google the Gimli glider now after G-I-M-L-I. we get off of there. Um, what was that? G-I-M-L-I. Uh, Greg is desperate for us to say that Purdue is C-3PO. Uh, they are black and gold and also <laughs> useless. Oh, my. That is perfect. That is. Yep. There it is. We haven't given Indiana anything. We need to assign Indiana a Star Wars character. Hmm. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Qui-Gon. <laughs> now, Qui-Gon did something. I mean, Qui-Gon was a good character. Yeah, we can't I was about to say Qui-Gon could be Minnesota. He used to be something, but now he's, he's dead. Indiana is Uncle Owen. <laughs> Indiana that's, is uh, Uncle Owen. Like, yeah, he's there. Yeah, that's really about what I was gonna say. He he's there. Yeah. Oh god, that's perfect. It is. I like that. Uh, that's Greg. That that was a Greg Bahashko special right there. That Indiana. And we're just gonna, even though it's not in the Big Ten, Nick Saban, Emperor Palpatine. 
Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, Nick Saban, Alabama, Emperor Palpatine. Very good. Um, interestingly, then this is going to get briefly political, so I apologize for that. Did you see that Nick Saban got approximately 22,000 votes in the Alabama special, Senate special election? I did see that right when we were going on there. I was flipping through, scrolling through Twitter, and all I thought was only in Alabama. Whether that's true or not, obviously, we're, you know, I, I, I've only seen that on social media stuff, but that would be really interesting since it looks like the margin of victory right now was around that. Um, <clears throat> Greg has got to be getting so frustrated listening to us talk about Star Wars when he's got so much to add in here. He said that Ohio State could be the cantina band since the band overshadows the rest. Damn. Um, but I can't Greg, see. Greg I can't think of, with the logic. I can't think about the Cantina Band without thinking about the Family Guy Star Wars episodes, where they cut to the Cantina Band at one point. He goes, "Oh, any requests? Oh, play that, that, that same song in. Oh, same song in. Here we go." Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know if you've ever seen the Family Guys, the Family Guy Star Wars trilogy, but it is phenomenal. Uh, I've not seen part that. Of my my wife and I's Valentine's tra- uh, tradition is we get massages, and we have Papa Murphy's taking baked pizza, and then we watch the Family Guy Star Wars trilogy. The one thing I have to say is, how on earth did that tradition start? That tradition started our first Valentine's Day together, and neither of us are big. Neither of us are big. Like, oh, let's use you know cutesy, sappy, romantic stuff, and. Uh, I don't know why I thought our first Valentine's Day together I would get her a massage, but we did. We got massages, and then uh, I was living in Omaha at the time in my apartment, and we just went and got a pizza, and I knew she was a big Star Wars fan, and I happened to have the the Family Guy, the Blue Harvest trilogy, and the rest is history, as it were. Every year since then. Although sometimes our massages don't happen until August because I forget to book them, but... Humble beginnings, turning uh, yeah. into traditions. But uh, yeah, no. Let's see, did we get all the teams covered for Star Wars? There, I think we did. I'm trying to see what but, Greg's typing now. What do you got yeah. for us, Greg? Let's let's. Uh, I think. Oh, oh Michigan we, State was Boba Michigan Fett. State. Michigan State's Boba Fett. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I'm comfortable with that. Uh, yeah, I, it, just, it fits. Uh, you know, it's interesting because you look at the people that we have. We don't have a Luke or a Leia. Um, Ooh, we don't. But I, you know, I, I think it, it's, it would be hard to assign that protagonistic quality to any of our any of the schools in the Big Ten, really. Luke would be Scott Frost once we get this up off the ground and running, fully operational. That's true. Right now, right now, Husker football is like the Millennium Falcon in uh, episode seven. It's just a. It's oh just a, yeah, we did say Luke was Minnesota. Sorry to interrupt you there. It's a good thing we're writing these things down someplace. Yeah, Greg. Greg is our uh, court reporter. He is. He is. That's why we keep him around. We keep him around yeah. for a lot of reasons, frankly. But, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, <clears throat> Nevertheless, uh, yeah, I, I like uh, Husker football's the Millennium Falcon right now, and Luke's the one's going to have to get it going in the right direction. Um, yeah. Well, really, they, we, we, you could argue that Scott Frost is Ray, since she's the one that figures out how to fly the damn thing in Episode Seven. You, but, know, you can't argue with that logic. You really can't. 
but I don't want to assign, you know, until we see episode eight, I don't want to assign too many things because, you know, things could all change in the next movie. You know, I have a co I, I have a coworker that two years ago when uh, a Force Awakens come, came out, he went and saw it six times in the first twenty four hours it was out. Wow. Yeah, called that's, in sick on you know Thursday and Friday and went and saw it six times. That's awesome. Um, well, uh, what else, uh, Greg? Since you're out there listening, but can't communicate with us uh what else you got for us to uh discuss on the uh five heart podcast brought to you by jittery monkey <laughs> very good i'm glad you remembered that part because i would have forgotten the jittery monkey part of the five hearts podcast all right um, well uh sounds like we're gonna wrap it up for the night and uh this is the this is haas reuter with the five five wow I, give me a minute <laughs> This is Ty Peter Onitz filling in for Greg Mahachko apparently right now on the Five Hearts podcast on coordination.com and the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. Uh, I'm helping out Haas Reuter tonight and Greg Mahachko since Greg was having some uh, technical issues. Haas, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Um, GBR and win the damn offseason. And you know what, Husker Volleyball? Win the damn match. Beat Penn State. And we're clear. We're clear. We're done. We got you, Greg. Oh, wait. Oops. And reminding you, five heart is all the heart you need. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Jittery Monkey.